0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.
2: Welcome to Real Talk with me, Mason Bray. Today, I continue my Broadway talk series, so let's get to that interview. So we have Kevin Roach, who is the Artistic Director at Evansville Civic Theater. Hi, Kevin. Hello. How are you?
1: I am doing well, though I wish I could be more creative right now.
2: (laughs) Do you want to tell all the listeners more who you
1: are? Uh, Well, my name is Kevin Roach. Um, I started out acting many, many years ago and um, kind of fell into directing after a while, uh, I you know, was doing shows both here in Evansville. Um, I've done shows in um, Bloomington, Indianapolis, uh, Kentucky, Owensboro, Kentucky. And um, as far as directing theater, my career kind of started because I had to step in a couple different times um, with a couple different groups because a director had dropped out and they wanted somebody to step in. And that's kind of where I got my... Education, if you will, when it comes to directing theater is is less from formal education and more from just the experience of it. And now I am the managing artistic director of the Evansville Civic Theater, um, one of Indiana's oldest and longest running community theaters.
2: So as the artistic director, what do you do?
1: Um right now, um I am in charge of pretty much everything. I have a board of directors that is above me. They're volunteer board of directors because we are a not for profit theater, and I manage the day to day of the theater. you know, I go in I make sure bills get paid. Um, I, you know, call possible sponsors, things like that, the managerial side of it all. But the more, the fun I have is when I get to actually direct the shows because it's up to me to help along with the committee, pick shows for a season that we think are going to really entice an audience. Um, and then also bring those shows to life, uh, with my creativity and my own touch.
2: What's the hardest part of your job?
1: The hardest part of my job? Um, I The hardest part of my job is it fluctuates. It's so different. Um, right now, with everything going on, it's it's the managerial aspect of it. It's trying to make decisions that are best for the theater. And honestly, I guess that is the hardest part overall. Is just you want, you want to do what's best for the theater, but you also want to do what's best for the community because you want to bring them entertainment that they're going to enjoy and a nice mix of entertainment that they're going to enjoy. And because um, those people, Oh, they come, they come regularly. they're they are your people. they are the theater's people and you know we value what they want and what they enjoy. Um, so that's difficult. I get to have more fun kind of on the directing end. There's not a whole lot of stress that goes into that because they, I do consider myself a very creative person. and directing is where I get to just be myself and have fun and get crazy.
2: Um, working at a well-known old theater, what's the biggest challenge you have?
1: Uh, Keeping the theater going, I think, would be the biggest challenge I have. And I know that sounds silly or simple, but, you know, the theater's been around for so very, very long. Um, It was started back in 1925, I believe, um, by Francis Golden who was, her family was a very well-known family of actors. They ended up settling in New Harmony, and uh, she started, I believe it was called the Evansville Players, and it eventually merged into the Evansville Civic Theater. And fun anecdote, just quickly, um, she was born on September the 7th, and I was born on the 8th but um, since then there's been so many different people that have come in and brought their own flair um, the longest running uh, managing artistic director that was there was Dick Ingbers he was there for almost 30 years if I understand it and you know he really kept that theater going and alive and then after me there's been a couple There's has been Lynn Kincaid, Chris Tyner you know and so I'm following a big legacy and I have a lot to live up to and sometimes they do come to the shows and it makes me nervous because it's you know I value their input this isn't organization that they kept alive for such a long time and that's what I want to do is I want to make sure that the civic theater survives for many years to come
2: so when you're on the directing side and you're casting a show what do you look for in people auditioning
1: the biggest thing that I look for in people auditioning and the most generic thing I can say is I look for people that aren't afraid to Mm -hmm. to have fun to own it as I call it Um, Nothing is more off-putting to a director than somebody who comes in very nervous, very stiff. You know, obviously I don't judge people for that because it is a very nerve-wracking experience, but I'm looking for somebody that walks in and has that attitude of, you know what, I've got this. And, and, and there's a difference between confidence, what I say, the difference between confidence and cockiness. Uh, cockiness is saying, I'm better than everybody in this room. Confidence is just saying, you know what, I've got this. Um, an old friend once told me, and I, I tell people this now, that even if you don't get the part, when you walk up there and you're reading those lines or you're doing that monologue for a brief moment, you are that character. You get to play that part. And so even if you don't make it, you had your moment. You had your you know brief moment on stage. And who knows, that moment might lead to something down the line, whether it be with the same theater or others. But I'm looking for people that aren't afraid to take risks, that aren't afraid to kind of put their fears aside and say, you know what, I may look silly, I may look stupid, I may look way too energetic, but I'm just going to give it my all because I've got this. That's what I'm generally looking for.
2: What is something that you don't like to see at an audition
1: one of the things that I take into consideration from as I tell people you are being watched from the moment you get there and that's absolutely true from the moment you walk into the building I know it may not seem like I'm paying attention to people but I am absolutely paying attention to you from the moment you walk in and one of the things that I really don't like to see is people that treat other people condescendingly people who have that I'm better than everybody else here kind of attitude because you know, yes, of course, there may be people with different talent levels or different experience levels, but we're all in the same playing field right now. And I definitely don't like to see people that just exude that better than thou attitude. And I'm I'm observing that not only when they're on the stage reading, but how they interact with other people. I know when I go to audition, I either talk to people and kind of introduce myself um or kind of sit away off to the side i i don't want to risk ever seeming rude by any means whatsoever so you know i can tell the difference between somebody who is just kind of sitting back and observing and then somebody who really is looking down on everybody there that's why i always try if somebody new comes in i always make it a point to shake their hand and introduce myself if i've never met them before or at the very least wave to them and introduce myself because how they respond to me is going to tell me a lot
2: so the audition is over What is your process of getting the cast list out in
1: like two weeks? Two weeks is about as long as it normally takes for me. Uh, Some people can crank those out in a couple days. I really can't. Um, People have actually seen this before, and I wish I could say this was figuratively, but I fan all of the audition sheets out like a deck of cards on the floor. And uh, if you were to get an aerial shot of me looking at audition sheets, it would be hilarious because it's just like piles of paper everywhere. And I will sit on the floor and with my notebook and start going through my notes and like putting things in different piles And it's not necessarily this person was good and this person was not, but looking at my notes and being like, I liked this person, but only for these kinds of roles, put them in a pile, you know, this person has too many conflicts, I don't think I can work with them, put them in a pile. And uh, I think I posted a picture one time to my Instagram and I got a bunch of likes and I think people thought I was being silly, but I'm like, no, that was actually how it looked. I just laid down and posted a picture. There were papers everywhere. And uh, I'm, I'm a very visual person. So, um, you know, when I take notes, I take very meticulous notes that if anybody else looked at them, they would not understand them. They would think I'm crazy. But those notes come in handy when I'm looking directly at the sheets because I never write on their sheets. And so I can, I can much easier kind of put my notes into perspective with their sheet right in front of me, if that makes sense.
2: What show are you most proud of?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, There are probably, let's see, there are several shows I'm most proud of. And coincidentally enough, every year, at least at Civic, we try to do shows that are based off of a piece of literature, classic literature, um, or sometimes a show that is a classic show in and of itself. Lately, it's been literature. And those have always ended up kind of being my favorites, um, and even ones that didn't fall in that category. We did, um, and we did an Agatha Christie murder mystery called "And Then There Were None," and um, that's a show that typically, what was frightening then, is not necessarily frightening now because we've been so desensitized to what is frightening because of horror films, because of of plays. And So a lot of times when that's presented, it's presented almost in a comedic manner because of the way it reads. What read very well and and very scary in the 1930s may not read as well today. So my challenge was to take that show and, and make it genuinely frightening again without changing anything that Agatha Christie did to it. Just give it my own flair. Um, But that show And then there were none um, Along with The Crucible The Crucible is one of my Absolute favorite shows Really, really proud of that one I had to end up Actually stepping into that one Because we had an actor drop out Very last minute And had a book in my hand And eventually After several performances I kind of got off book But it was also coincidentally The same role I played in high school So it wasn't Super, super difficult But um, that was a show That has such a deeper meaning Beyond the Salem Witch Trials And so I really enjoyed How that one turned out And Um, Lord of the Flies. I was really proud of that one. You were in that one that one actually is probably the last show that I did that I was just genuinely genuinely enthralled with how it came out because it came out exactly how I had pictured it in my mind and you know it was here's a piece of literature here's a play that here's a play of a piece of literature that has kind of simplified this very very long story and I presented it in a way that was just as uncomfortable as the book was and was just as emotionally challenging as the book was and you know that and all of these, it's not just me doing it. It's the cast that I pick. It's the people that I pick that really bring these things to life. Um, I'll always have a very, very special place in my heart for Peter and the Star Catchers, the first show that I did at Civic as um, artistic director. And um, I had done a couple shows before then on contract just to come in and direct a show. But that was my first show being hired as artistic director. So there will always be a place in my heart for that because it was such a beautiful show. And then um, I also work with high schoolers. Um, at Mount Vernon High School and there's a lot of shows there that I'm very very proud of we did um, you know we did the Scottish play Macbeth and I was really proud of how that turned out those kids really tackled Shakespeare and a lot of them had never touched Shakespeare before and um, we recently just did a show called Trap.
2: I have the playbill up here somewhere Uh, right there
1: Yes. um, That one was a show that, you know, I read it, I loved it, but I knew that it could either be one of two things. It could end up being hokey and silly, or it could end up being really, really good. And I had seen a couple different versions of it that erred on the side of almost being silly. And my goal was to make it absolutely terrifying without, again, without changing anything.
2: It was terrifying.
1: Well, and and the playwright actually reached out to us, um, not to me directly, because I'm just a drama coach, but reached out to the head of the theater department and, and said that he was very pleased with how we went the extra effort to kind of keep the show a secret and promote it and the viral marketing that we did for it. And so that was a lot of fun. And I know I'm rambling, but these are shows that just when I think about them, they bring back extremely fond memories
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: So when do you start planning for a season with the board?
1: we We start planning usually um when the current season begins. you know when we start a new season we 're already having meetings discussing the next season. Um, we have six shows to pick and then we do six shows in our main stage and then we do four shows on our what we call our underground series, which is the underground series is the shows that we might not be able to stage on the civic main stage because of content, whether that be you know language or um, adult content of any form, not to say that we don't have that in some shows on our stage, but we try not to do the plays that are more rated R. But the Underground series kind of allows us to do that. And that's those are shows that are usually done at an alternate space, very minimal, minimal cast, minimal setting. We let the story tell itself. And I don't direct those, but I've actually acted in several of them over the years. And that's that's been a lot of fun. Um, right now, with everything that's going on in the world, we're currently kind of regathering our group and kind of re-looking at our season that we had planned originally to see how we can bring theater to the masses maybe on a smaller scale or maybe in an alternate space whether that be outdoors or whatever when we can start doing shows again so it's an ever-going process
2: what are you looking forward to when restrictions
1: lift doing shows again. (laughs) Um, There's so much that I want to do and I'm a creative person by nature. And so, you know, I've had to kind of improvise and do things at home. Like um, I'm an actor at heart. I always tell people I'm a director, but I'm an actor first. And so I've done a lot of audio things Um, I need to do more of them. Uh, I've done, you know, tried to get other people to submit videos. I'm memorizing monologues right now that I'm going to perform. And so, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting back into the arts.
2: So I've asked this to everyone, but what do you think is more important education or experience in a career path like yours?
1: Well, I've listened to some of your guests answer this question And um, I'm going to have to be the one again to say it's a give and take. And there's a little bit of both. Um, I don't necessarily believe that you have to have a college degree to get where you're at. I mean, obviously, I'm just the managing artistic director of a small community theater in Evansville, Indiana. But I know people that are working professionally that never finish school for acting. And that's not to say don't go to school for acting, because that might be where you get a lot of training. But I have to agree with David Mamet, who says that, you know, actors, we are a generation that want to stay in school. We want that piece of paper. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes people like me, when I was in college, I ended up having to leave because of um, financial hardships with my family. But I just kept doing and doing and doing and doing and acting and acting and acting, acting. And I learned more by doing that than I ever did in my time at, at school. So it's a little bit of both. Now that now that being said, you know, if I were to pack up now and move to a different city or get a job in a different city, you, you can bet I'm gonna be taking classes on directing or classes on acting because you are never done learning. You're always taking in new things. I mean, even even myself, I've learned what works and what doesn't. And the director I was, you know, four years ago is not necessarily the director I am now. He's not necessarily the director I'll be next year because I'm always learning. And some of that is other director friends of mine kind of picking their brain and asking them. So, you know, I would actually love to take classes sometime and learn. But, you know, you want to learn and whatever that means for you, do it. You know, if you want to go to college and you want to study and you want to get a degree in theater, go for it. Absolutely. Because there are going to be some times that that is going to pay off. There are going to be some professional gigs that are going to look for that, but not always. But I always encourage, like my students at my high school, if you find training, if you find experience or you find opportunity to to do things, do them. Take those classes, be in those shows, be the character that has one line. Because, um, you know, I had a student that after they graduated, they only got a very small part in a college. Show And I said, it doesn't matter, you, you got a part, you get to actually sit back and watch how the director directs and how other people work, you know, how lucky for you and fortunate for you. So you're always learning, you're always picking up things.
2: So you mentioned doing audio work, what else are you doing during quarantine or anything?
1: Right now, um, I've got a fun new microphone, and I'm just playing with it. Uh, I've done some reading of some children's books. Um, I just released the other day a reading um, of a chapter out of the novelization of Night of the Living Dead. I'm a horror buff, and uh, Simon & Schuster has allowed the reading and public posting of small portions, so I just did chapter one just to kind of play with it a little bit, but I would really love, and again, this goes back to I'm an actor first, I would really love to get my voice out there, get it heard, and, and maybe someday find my path in in voice over or something like that. You know, Um, I listened to a seminar where a professional voice actor was talking about how he got started. And and one of the things he said, he said, this doesn't happen for everybody, but he got started by accident. He had recorded some things and put them online and, and a local company reached out to him and was like, we'll pay you to be the voiceover for our commercial. And he said, it just snowballed from there. And so, yes, it's a big dream, but it's something that who knows what could happen.
2: Uh, that's all I have. Is there anything else you want to tell or talk about?
1: Well, you were you were asking me about direction. And one of the things I actually had this conversation with a friend not too long ago, one of the things that I wish more actors understood about the casting process, and it's something I as an actor had to learn the hard way. As an actor, but then became a director and realized, oh, what everybody told me was right is that sometimes you don't get the part, and it's not because you aren't good. Sometimes it's because there was somebody else that just fit that role better. Um, I've literally cast a show before because of somebody's height. Um, I had a show one time where I knew I wanted these two particular characters. To be, or two particular actors to be mom and dad, and they were both very, very short people. And then I had to cast their daughter, and I had a few girls that were read really, really well for the part, but two of them were very tall, and I had to have this aesthetic of their daughter needed to look younger than them, and I couldn't visibly do that with somebody that was taller. I mean, is it believable? Yes. But for an audience sitting and watching... Um, their brains are going to associate shorter child, their child, you know? And so, and I, and I actually did have a conversation with the other actresses about it and why I made the decisions I did. I don't always do that, but I wanted to for them to let them know um, because they all were excellent at it. I mean, my, the pros and cons were completely the same for all of them, but sometimes it boils down to, you know, I've had people tell me this for film, you audition for films, sometimes it boils down to you don't have the right hair or, you know, you you know, you're auditioning, you know, and I, and I have done some independent film, um, nothing major, but I've done some things that are out there. And, you know, I've heard stories of people, actors that said they didn't get the part they wanted because they have a lot of tattoos and they read the best for it. But they needed somebody that didn't have, you know, tattoos on their arm or, um, you know, you didn't get the part because, you know, you didn't, how do I word this? Physically, you didn't seem like you matched the person that you're playing off of. And, you know, I go in, I go in blind casting. I I never go in with a, a preconception of, you know, well, I'm going to do this. You know, for instance, I'm going to use a crucible. Crucible, John Proctor is often, you know, pictured as this very big imposing figure. And the actor who I had play him, who did very, very well is a very short guy. And the girl that played his wife is a very, very tall woman. And um, normally that would kind of be taken into question. I don't want to say it would have excluded them, but at the end of the day, they both read very well for it and, and played off each other so well that it, they convinced me this is the right choice. And it ended up being such an interesting dynamic that John Proctor, you know, this big character that's kind of our protagonist of the story is so much shorter than everybody else that towers over him and it ended up leading to me playing with that aspect um, of the judges or the people that thought they were higher than him were always on a platform and always standing above him and it wasn't until you know they were shown for who they really were that they stepped down and he stepped up and so we ended up playing with height but there are so many different things that go into casting that actors just don't always understand and one of the things I've always opened myself up for is if you want to ask I will be happy to answer any questions you know how to improve how to improve your auditioning or simply just what was the deciding factor um you know I've I have ended up becoming a friend but I had a lady that You know, she didn't get a part and she wanted to know why. And I said, it wasn't because you weren't good. In this case, I just like somebody better. And hence my papers on the floor. You know, I've got two or three girls for one role. And out of all of those, I'm looking at my notes and all my scribbles and circles and underlines. And I find out, you know, I loved all these girls, but I liked this one person better. And it's not that the other two girls were bad. I just like this person better, if that makes sense. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it beyond just, well, I read the part the best, you know, whether it be for film or stage, the director may be looking for a certain physical type. They may be looking for somebody that is a certain height. Um, They may be looking for, and you know, it might be a case of can you do the accent that they want, which is never really a big deal for me, but you know, I've heard of it before. Just are you what they are looking for, but. I don't want that to discourage anyone whatsoever, because again, going back to the crucible, you know, I always think of John Proctor as this big imposing figure and here, this very short guy comes in and just knocks it out of the park and convinces me because he came in with that attitude of, you know what, I got this and surprised me. And and I love as a director being surprised by people that come in that just, that just wow me and take me in a my mind in a different direction than i was going because as you're watching people audition you do tend to kind of think okay they would be nice here they would fit well here and then somebody steps up and completely blows it out of the water and you know you're like hmm i wonder if i can dye their hair red um because the character may have to have red hair but we can always dye their hair you know uh, and that's just a random random example but yeah
2: well thank you so much for being here today
1: you're very welcome thank you for talking to me
2: no problem what's up just me here um sorry about the technical difficulties with my microphone it sounded like i was on the phone um sorry about that thank you for listening this week hope to see you here next week
0: have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels well here's your chance welcome to the quiet part out loud with me bobby Steggert, broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of broadway creatives